It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, we're going to do Michael Cole's viewers on the telephone. Yeah, baby. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Let me see if I can find that chat room. Where did they go? <laughs> the chat room has disappeared on me. Oh, no. Um, hang in there, guys. My wife just tripped over a wire about a minute ago, and everything in the place went kablooey. So yours truly is figuring some stuff out. Um, there we go. Live chat pop out. All right. There we go. That's that. Okay. We are good to go. Hello. That's weird. I'm seeing a little delay between my face and my lips. You guys can hear me okay, right? Blame it on the wife. Yeah, you can hear me. <laughs> she literally, about three minutes ago, tripped over a wire and my USB, everything was connected to my USB hub, just went kablooey. So we're lucky we're having a show. Um, Mom hopes Deb is okay after tripping on the wire. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my wife is in for a stern lecture after this show. Oh, man. I'm, I've got to say, I'm unnerved. Before uh, she tripped over the wire, I had uh, my phone plugged into the roadcaster to make sure I had good audio, and I was getting that little feedback loop with the delay and clicking everything. It seems to be under control, but it may come back. I don't know. Um, and let me open that door to get rid of that reflection. Okay, feel like I need to take a tranquilizer or something. I'm literally unnerved. Hello, guys. Hope you all had a great weekend. Uh, hello, Ken Messford, Aaron Northern, Alan Hall, Peter Rahill, Darren Fletcher, Ulysses Carter, Edmund Red, Gloria Covington, Kristen Knight, uh, Dan Weber, Pete Mason, Jesse J. Peck, Pierre Venio, Darren Fletcher, Crash Gates, Martin Gravel. Okay, so today... Um, I am going to call some people uh, and answer their viewer questions, and we're going to do it on the telephone, which is always fun. Let me get my earbuds in. Testing. Hello. Okay. Um, and I've got phone numbers. <sighs> All right. Um, what do I dial? Star 67 to make my phone number not show up? Uh, whatever they call that. I think star 67 will do it, right? Keypad. Okay. Giovanni Laza, too far to be called. I'm sorry. Yep, star six, seven. Okay, 
Let's call our first person, which is Mr. Glenn Letts. And I hope everything is working. Six. All right. Hi, Michael. Hello, Glenn. Why is it still ringing? Oh, because you you got to turn Hi, off Michael. your audio. Hi, you've got to turn off your audio for the show. Hello, Glenn. Hello there. Why is it still ringing? Oh, because you've you got to turn off your audio. Hi, you've got to turn off your audio. There you okay. go. There we All go. Right. Now, I, now I can hear you. Yeah. All right. So welcome to the big show for Monday. Let's get right to it. Um, so Glenn says, when clicking drumsticks together at the beginning of a song, uh, how get, I think you meant, how do I get the live sound of the drums clicking to blend with the drum samples? Um, right. are, you talk, are you talking about clicking the drumsticks together like one, two, three, that kind of clicking? Well, well you know, I was, this was actually for a taxi um, um, listing right. that was for, was for a Southern rock. And I was using uh, Dean Crepain's book as a, as a, you know, sort of as a template for it. And he said, you know, to build the instrumentation up slowly. And he suggested the percussion should just start with, with like just, you know, maybe guitar and and the sticks click. Oh, I, I, see, I see what you're talking about. Keeping time with the sticks. How to get the right. uh, to blend with the drum samples. So, um, you have the drum samples obviously on other tracks, and you've got the sticks clicking on their own track. Right, because I recorded that, you know, the, the, the drums were done with um, samples from GarageBand, and I, and I recorded the, the sticks with, uh, you know, just going into my microphone, and it, when, you know, when I would play it back, the, the sticks just had a completely different feel to them. Like, you, you could tell that they weren't part of the, the drums that, that were coming in on the samples, and I was wondering how you could what you could do to make the drums sound more like they were, you know, in the same room or the same person or whatever. Got it. Uh, yeah, that's probably because they were recorded in a different room, different microphones, all that kind of stuff. And honestly, any, any advice I give you on this would just be guessing on my part without actually seeing it. But, um, uh, are the, do the drums sound like they've got more room than the sticks? Do the sticks sound like they're closer to the microphone or farther uh, away? Yeah, like they like yeah, they're like they were in a different room and um, and they just they sounded just kind of louder, you know. Um, not it's hard, it's a little bit hard to describe, but they just it it just sounded like they were you know recorded separately. It would have been like you Which know, they were made two different recordings almost. Right. And they were recorded differently or, you know, right. and they, they were two different recordings. So that's the problem. It's really a mix issue. So what you need to do, first of all, would be just use those two faders and ride the relative levels to get them to sound like, you know, they're at the same level. Uh -huh. um, 
and then I would take uh, whichever sound you like. If the drums are roomier sounding and you like those, then you want to get the sticks to sound roomier. So I would go first try like a small room on the reverb setting and bring that up very slowly in little increments until it goes, oh. until you go, oh, now it sounds like a similar thing. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, probably a reverb issue and just trying to match the sounds. It's a mix issue. Mix so, issue, okay. Yeah, um, yeah there, you know, it's like recording somebody's voice in a very dry setting in a dry room and then uh, um, trying to punch in on that same vocal recording that person in a very live room, it's going to sound right. differently. So that's all you have to do is just... I would start with a small room setting on your reverb and then just bring it up in incrementally until you go, okay, that's it. Because if the drums are recorded in a more live room, getting rid of the liveness on an already recorded track will be virtually impossible. Yeah. So well, the, drum, the, the drums were, you know, samples from GarageBand. So I don't know how they do theirs. Right. But I mean, do they have a, do the drums sound kind of like they were done in a live room? Mm, I don't think so. They sound they sound more like uh, I guess the, way, the best way for me to describe it is they they sound like they are sort of electronic drums. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, again, it's going to come down to it's a mix issue. Maybe it's compression. Maybe it's the reverb. Um, okay. but I would start with the level matching first. You want to get the two levels to sound like they're close and then uh -huh. bring in the reverb on the sticks, um, without actually hearing it and being there. It's really mm -hmm. hard for me to give you other, anything sure. other than just guesses. So let's move on to your second question is, will there be mentor sessions at this year's road rally? No, there was just no, we, we thought about it, we talked about it, and we decided that it would be a technical nightmare. Let's say that we had 10 people that were available for mentor sessions, that, and mm -hmm. they would be at various homes, um, and we would have to then disseminate the numbers of the, the phone numbers of the people wishing to be mentored, or uh -huh. even like a Zoom link, or a Skype link, um, and we quickly ascertained that doing that, we would run into all kinds of technical problems, uh, sure. not the least of which would be, oh man, I'm sorry, I was at a dentist appointment and it ran over and I missed uh -huh. my mentor session. So now we're going to have, you know, people from all over the world uh, ostensibly reaching out to the taxi office going, oh, I blew my mentor session. Can you reschedule me uh -huh. for another one? Or I clicked uh -huh. the link and it didn't work. So mm -hmm. we just decided there would be way too many problems like that. Sad to say that uh, we would have no ability to control very effectively on the fly. So we decided uh -huh. not to do that this year. Let's blame COVID-19 for that. Yeah, um, that all right, sense. on to your next question, which is when I record a nylon string guitar and garage band and EQ it, why do the EQ settings seem to go away when I export to an MP3 file? Um, I'm not that familiar with GarageBand, but now that I've got Logic, uh, I'm getting you know familiar with, with workstations, and my guess is that you are in record mode when you're laying down the EQ. Um, mm -hmm. So it should be hypothetically, in practice, you know, going to tape, and I say that with quotes around it, it should be 
recording with that EQ. Um, maybe you don't have it set up so that the EQ is going to the record side and going to tape. Um, or maybe, uh, I don't know, again, without sit, you know, sitting down with you and seeing it. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but I can almost guarantee you that's the problem is the EQ is probably not going to tape. Um, and then when you switch out of record mode into mix mode, the EQ would have to be then going to the mix mode as well. Yeah, okay. and, and Peter Rahill says, uh, are you saving your settings? You know, maybe, um, maybe you're not saving it. And so therefore it's kind of uh, ephemeral. It's there when you're using it, but it's not being saved that way to tape. So there's okay. that. I'll have to look into that. All right. Well, there you go. Sorry I couldn't be more helpful um, on the record stuff without actually sitting down with you. Um, and, no problem. Uh, yeah, I'll invite you over. You can hang out here at the house and we can work on it together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good talking right, to you, thanks. Glenn. Take care and Thank uh, you, thanks for the question. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Um, all right, the next one is from Betsy Brightboard. Um, let me call Betsy. Hi, this is Betsy. I'm unable to get to the phone at the moment, but please leave me a message and I'll return the call as soon as possible. Thank you. Well, Betsy, um, kind of hard to answer if you're not going to pick up the phone. So Betsy, if you're watching the show and you see a call coming in from uh, a non-identified caller, that would be me. I'm going to try and call you one more time. Um, maybe I will answer the question anyway, because it's a good question. Um, all right, let's try this one more time. Betsy, if you're watching the show, please pick up. Hello. Hi, Betsy. How are you? It's Michael from Taxi. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh my God. Why is that shocking? You sent in a question. I said I would call. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for calling me. I didn't expect you to answer my question. That's great. Well, here I am. Yes. Um, is your is your volume down on your computer? Whatever you're watching. Yeah, yeah I just I just pause it. I'm, it should be okay. Okay, so let me read your question and then I will answer. Um, okay, awesome. uh, Betsy says I'm kind of stumped about the timing of your listings. For example, I've had a lot of my music forwarded to music supervisors by a music library rep in Los Angeles. Someone legit, and yes, someone I know. And one, yep. uh, and one thing I've been told over and over again is that requests for music tracks for TV projects in particular have a fast turnaround, like within hours, sometimes, and generally speaking, no longer than a day or two. How right. can Taxi post submission requests for TV and film and other media with deadlines that in some cases are almost a month away and a review time that's even longer? I'm scratching my head on this one. Okay, yeah. I, I can save you from scratching your head. Um, there are different types of listings that come in from libraries. 
um, you're probably getting seeing stuff from your library where they get um, a request, like let's say at you know 9 a.m. on a Thursday morning, um, right. that's from a music soup that says I need X Y Z kind of song. So the library is answering a specific request with, with that music supervisor, and they're sending the word out to people, usually selected people in their library that they know that do that particular genre, and seeing if they've got anything that they can get back to them in a big hurry, because it's for a supervisor that needs it for an episode of a show that week. However, Taxi also runs a lot of listings for libraries where they're just looking to freshen up a particular genre, or maybe they have, uh, you know, like three tracks in a particular genre and they want to have 20 so that their customers, their clients have more of a selection. So in that case, they don't need it to fill an immediate need from a music supervisor that day or that week. So they'll, you know, we always ask them, when do you need this in your hands by? And they'll tell us. And oftentimes when they're in building catalog mode or refreshing different genres, because music has gotten long in the tooth, um, in those genres, they give us a longer window because they're in no immediate rush trying to fill a need for a supervisor that particular week. Uh, also to let you know, um, uh, okay, deadlines are in some cases almost a month away and review time it's even longer. So again, we ask them, when do you need this in hand? So let's say somebody says they need something in their hand by November 27th. We might run a listing that tells you guys, gives you guys a deadline of November 23rd. Uh, because we can pretty much anticipate from doing this for 28 years this particular genre will get a ton of submissions. Another particular genre may not get a ton of submissions. So we actually do the math in advance to say, okay, this one's for singer songwriter. We know we're going to get a ton of submissions. So then we will back out the, the deadline date that we present to our members, giving ourselves enough of a window. Let's say we, we estimate that we're going to get 250 submissions for a singer songwriter thing. So we look at our screener availability and go, okay, we've got three screeners that are all super well qualified on singer songwriter. We reach out to them and check their availability and we schedule them. And that's how we know um, how much lead time we need to hit the deadline of the music library. So even though a deadline's on the 23rd, you know, we need to get in their hands on the 27th. And you may not actually even get a reply from Taxi as to the disposition of if you were forwarded or not until maybe the 28th or 29th, because the first thing we do is take care of um, assembling that music into a disco playlist, getting all the metadata that we need to go to them, like your name, the song title, um, any co-writers and your phone number and email address, which goes to them so they can reach out to you directly should they hear something that they want to sign. So we take care of all that stuff and then we take care of notifying the members. So you may even find out a day or two later as evidenced by the fact that we hear from members sometimes in the taxi forum that they got reached out to and contacted by a library before they even got the notice from taxi. And that's why. Wow. Okay. All right. 
Well, that's great. Thank you, Michael, because I, I, I really needed to understand that a little bit, but I, I just, you know, I felt like what's, there seemed to be a gap with this information. So it's, I really, really appreciate your um, addressing this and, uh, and clarifying it. Really, that helped a lot. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Also, I should mention as an aside that there are times that we're running listings for music supervisors. A, a classic example of this would be if we're running a listing for a um, music soup working on, on, on an indie film, um, that's got a different timeline typically than somebody looking for a song for episodic television and they need it right away. An indie film supervisor would typically give us two, three, four weeks because they've got the, the luxury of that timeline. So mm -hmm. again, you know, it all depends on the circumstance, but there you go. All right. Thank you. That's great. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks yep. for a great question, Betsy. Okay, sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So far, so good. Um, Alan Hall says, I appreciate that question as well. So, two. Uh, ooh, Marion Laird's got cheeseburgers on the table. <laughs> Gotta say, I'm a little jealous because I'm a lot hungry right now. Okay, let's see. All right, so this next one is from Carrie Harchin, and let me call Carrie. I shouldn't have said that I was hungry, now I'm starving. Starving. <laughs> We're sorry. The party you are calling does not wish to talk to callers who block their number. If you wish to reach this party, please hang up and place your call again without blocking your number. That ain't going to happen. I can't be giving out my phone number. People be calling me at midnight going, I've got a submission to make and I'm going to miss the deadline. <laughs> Eat some chocolate coffee beans. Well, look, Nancy, I just happen to have some right here. Um, Carrie, are you in the chat? Are you watching the show? I hope so, because I'm going to try and call you again. Sorry, I know it's rude to eat in front of you, but I'm so hungry. All right. I am calling you once again, Carrie. Here I come. We're sorry. The party you are calling does not wish to talk to callers who block their number. If you wish to reach this party, please hang up and place your call again without blocking your number. Carrie doesn't know how to unblock. Hmm. Well, if you want to figure it out and let us know later that you've figured it out. You might want to Google or something. I'm just so, I'm not appreciated. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, Carrie, if you can figure that out, please let us know in the chat and I will really, I try, I will try really hard to get back to you later in the show. All right. Next up to bat is Wendy Landers. What, I don't even know what it says on your end uh, when it shows up. It says like a, 
unidentified number or something like that. So if anybody watching the show today that submitted a question sees an unidentified caller coming in, that's me. Here I come, Wendy Landers. Hey, Mike, this is Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Yay, you're there. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, it is. Um, thanks for the question. So let me read it. Um, I'm probably it's not going to... psychotic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So is the person answering the question. Um, I'm probably going to reach my goal of 100 submissions this year. Yay. Wow, that's impressive. Good work on that. Um, I still have a small amount of forwards, three. A few submissions I'm still waiting to hear back from. What would be a good submission goal for next year? I don't know that I can arbitrarily just pull a number out of thin air. Um, is it? Are you making music full-time right now? It's still part-time. It's still part-time, but I didn't know if, you know, cruising around, a hundred's like a, a couple of cues a week throughout right. the year, and I didn't know if that was a good cruising altitude, so to speak, or if I really, you know, should actually be doing more than that. I actually don't know. Um. I can't say that any of our successful members who I know really well um, have ever said to me, you know, this is my number. This is a magic number. If you do this many um, tracks a week, then you're bound yeah. to have success. Obviously, yeah. um, quality and being on target are the most important things. So I would say you wouldn't want to sacrifice quality or being on target mm -hmm. in exchange for cranking out a number. I have I have noticed that if I do a lot, they get better, though. <laughs> well, that's good. You know why? Because practice makes perfect. Uh -huh. I've al yeah. always said that. That uh, you I know, may still be in that phase. Yeah, the the more you do, the faster you become with your mm -hmm. gear. The more you learn about EQ, like knowing you know that a bass guitar uh, in your on your rig will always sound better if you know you add a little. 100 hertz to your bottom end and uh so you it just it hasn't been that long ago since i was doing a cue a month okay so wow I, then... I knew i needed to get faster than that right but... definitely faster than that but yeah, yeah. if you're doing a couple of a week and you're still in the early stages of, of doing oh. this i think that you're doing miraculously well for somebody at your level frankly i know people who are pros that that you know Maybe they're professional okay. in the quality of what they do and the speed at with which they work, but they're not doing it full time. And so they can only get to a couple of weeks. But if you're already doing that and you're not full time, okay. good job. All right. All right. That sounds good to me. Appreciate it. All right. That was an easy one. Thanks, Wendy. Okay. Good to talk <laughs> right. to you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was easy. Okay. Time for a chocolate-covered coffee bean. Sorry, the beans are crunchy. <laughs> All right, Buffalo Bob, also known as Robert Colbroth. I'm getting ready to call you right now.
Hello? Yes, sir. Hello, Robert. How are you? Good, sir. It's an honor uh, to talk to you. Well, thank you. An honor to speak to you as well. Um, is the volume down on the video of the show that you're watching? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, let's address this question. And the question okay. is, do you think some music is timeless? I recently sent three songs to a listing that were not forwarded because the reviewer didn't think they fit the listing enough. But the reviewer told me how much he liked certain things about all three of the songs and said it would be a good contender for other briefs on two of the songs. These particular songs I recorded almost 30 years ago, protest stuff, and the way the world has become, they have more meaning now than then. Any thoughts? Thank you for your time from Buffalo Bob. Well, thanks for that question. It's a great question. Um, yes, yeah, some music is timeless. Obviously, um, we've had a lot of success. Our members have had a lot of success. I mean, countless times uh, that members of ours who are older that recorded stuff back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they still have those recordings around and... Uh, we have been able to get that stuff to um, a couple of publishers we work with that specialize in getting vintage recordings out to the industry. And the reason that the industry likes vintage recordings, even though they know that the sound is not going to be as good, the recordings won't be as good in general, is because of the authenticity factor. And they, um, the producers of TV shows or movies will reach out to these uh, libraries that specialize in vintage music because they want the vibe. And I've talked about this before in the show, but I'll bring it up again today, which is it's so kind of easy to tell when something was recorded. Let's take the 70s, um, something that was recorded in the 70s that you can just feel it. Um, you can hear it. You can feel feel it. The melodies are stylistically different. The vocal deliveries are stylistically different. The subject matter of the vocals um, and the way the, the lyrics, I mean, uh, the way the lyrics are written was different in the 70s than it is now. So in that regard, those things are in fact timeless because people will do TV shows that have scenes that were from the 70s or 80s or 90s, what have you, and they want music from that era because the authenticity factor is there and um, comes right through. Conversely, if you try to take modern equipment um, and make something sound vintage, it gets pretty close, but it's still lacking that certain thing. So vintage music, yes, some vintage music remains timeless because there are current opportunities for music from that era. Now, songs themselves, just looking at a song. Um, I'm trying to think of a great example. Um, jazz might be a good example. There are jazz pieces that remain timeless. Um, there are old pop standards that be that remain timeless not necessarily all the time because of their vintage quality but just because the sentiment of the song the melody of the song the whole treatment of it is just timeless people will love it forever so yes 
there are some pieces of music in some genres that sometimes would be considered timeless. I can't say that it's an across-the-board thing, um, but it does happen. So... Let's That's see. what I was thinking, that lots of stuff, you can tell it's from a certain era, but then there are certain things, like maybe even today, if I heard a Beatles song that I'd never heard, never heard of the Beatles, I might think, hmm, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, it might be. Um, I, I like the fact that you mentioned protest stuff. Um, we've had some listings that recently, I just saw one, I think, that went out last week where they're looking yeah, for... Yeah, I just sent a bunch of stuff to that. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, if if there was ever a time where protest songs were relevant, again, uh, right now would be it. And I'm certain, and by the way, I keep hearing, I heard uh, again over the weekend, I spoke to a couple of friends of mine that are on the pitching side of the industry. They told me things are starting to get really, really busy for them. Productions are starting to open back up. And I have no doubt that there will be made-for-TV movies and episodes of TV shows, um, documentaries, um, news things, uh, you know, like retrospectives looking at, at the riots that were happening this summer and the protests that were happening this summer. Could you take something like Crosby, uh, Stills, Nash & Young's um, Ohio and use that? in a show that showed a protest or a riot um, from today, you could. Sometimes they like to just mm -hmm. juxtapose something old against something new, especially yeah, yeah. when something like Ohio is one of those examples of a timeless song. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a negative thing about Ohio is it was very much about um, the students getting killed by the National Guard at, uh, during the protests at Kent State University, yeah, which is no right. So that that because it's so particular and so specific, you mm. probably couldn't use it. Although they the editor um, might just take a section of the song that doesn't mention Ohio, so they would have right. to find like a part of a verse that didn't have you know the chorus is Ohio. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, another thing you should definitely do is we do run a fair amount of listings for the companies looking for vintage music. And uh, mm -hmm. just late last night, about, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, I was editing the member deals stuff that goes out in our newsletter. And I saw we had a particularly large batch of members this month that'll be going out in the newsletter that were all... Um, senior members that had stuff that was vintage from probably the 60s and 70s mostly and it mm -hmm. put a huge smile on my face nothing more exciting uh, to myself and the staff at taxi that when we hear about somebody that's had a piece of music sitting around for you know 30 40 50 years thinking that that music would never you know see the light of day and lo and behold not only does it get signed by a publisher that specializes in vintage music music but it ends up getting a placement in a tv show and they make a few thousand bucks that to me is just awesome plus more than anything it's really validating for the people that knew that they had written and recorded something really good back in the day and here we are decades later and it's good enough that it makes sense for somebody to put in their tv show so keep your eyes open for those vintage listings as a matter of fact 
Um, I already made a note for tomorrow for me to call the people in the A&R team at Taxi to ask them when the last time we did a broad general, do you have anything vintage, no matter what genre and what decade, we do that probably two or three times a year for one of our favorite vintage publishers. More often than not, they're looking for specific stuff, but they do give us permission to just run a general catch-all kitchen sink listing looking for anything vintage a few times a year. So hopefully one of those will be coming up in the very near future. But yeah, protest, so. protest, man, you can't go wrong with that right now. Yeah, yeah, I did an album in mid-90s called American Crime, and most of it is protest stuff. Great. So, All right, well, uh, good I'm luck. I'm maybe it's my time. I hope so. Uh, believe me, nothing delights us more. We had a, a member who was in his 90s that wrote music in the middle of the mid, like 1945, 46, 47, had this stuff sitting literally in a drawer on a shelf wherever, for many decades, like 60, 70 years, we hooked him up with a, uh, a publisher that specialized in vintage music in this very elderly gentleman started getting placements like crazy. And over like the last 10 or wow. 15, 10 or 15 years of his life, he probably had on the order of like 25 really good placements wow. with his music. So wow. there you go. I hey, hope the same. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling me. I'm on it, sir. All right. Thanks, Buffalo Bob. Good to talk to you, and thanks for the question. Okay. You take Bye -bye. care, sir. Thank you. All right. I just saw Liz mention that, um, that Carrie called back with her phone number. Liz, do you want to send that to me in WhatsApp, and uh, I will grab it from you? You may have already sent it. No? Yeah, send it to me in WhatsApp. I'm Operators are standing by. And you know what this means? Now I've got an opportunity to eat some more chocolate coffee beans. What's buffering? The show is buffering? Oh, no. All right, well, I'm not getting any weird notifications about bandwidth on this end. So it must be from um, YouTube. Am I calling Australia today? No, sorry. Damn, the show is buffering. Oh, it's buffering for different for some people, not for others. Yeah, that's definitely a, a network thing. Um, Liz, go ahead and send me uh, Carrie's good phone number on WhatsApp, please. Nancy Collel's on a diet over there eating... Um, Kettle, kettle corn, I guess, uh, cooked jalapeno. Oh, kettle cooked jalapeno potato chips and a cherry Coke. I love um, your health food. <laughs> yeah, I would say to everybody who's buffering just to um, reload the page and hopefully that'll go away. 
Ooh, do I have a drink to drink? Why, well, I, I do. All right, and Liz just sent me the number. Okie dokie. Let's get cranking on this. Um, where's my pencil? There it is. Okay. Here I come, Carrie. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Michael? I'm good, thanks. All right, so let me read your question. Thank you for submitting it. Um, mm. Hi, as a newcomer to the taxi family, I'm about to make my first submissions. While I'm always hopeful, I'm also aware that I have a tremendous amount to learn. Good attitude. Um, so my question is, is it in any way counterproductive or self-sabotaging self to submit tracks which do not get forwarded by taxi to other less discerning libraries? No, um, I'd say probably not. Um, I got to think about this for a second. No, I mean, we've definitely had members that have had stuff not forwarded by taxi to, that have reached out to, as you so aptly put it, less discerning libraries. Not that we're a library, but they reach out to less discerning libraries that will take stuff. They're just not picky about what they take. So people then send us an email, well, your screener didn't forward this, but I got it picked up by a library. And then when we find out which library it was, we go, oh, that's because they'll pretty much take anything that sounds remotely like music. So is there any negative um, for you? If the stuff that Taxi didn't forward is so kind of underdeveloped and not quite good enough yet that it probably, um, I mean, I, if I were you, I would just keep reworking those pieces until you get them to be good enough to be forwarded. By sending them out to the less discerning libraries, it will be very heartwarming and satisfying for you when they offer you a deal and you'll go, look at that, I've got a publisher. I, I understand that, I do. And uh, it's good to feel good about, you know, some sort of accomplishment like that. However, now your stuff is out in the public view. Um, I wouldn't say there's a tremendous risk, but there's some possibility that somebody someday when you get better and have stuff in better, higher quality libraries, and they may go online to look at some of your other work and they may Google your name and they may hear that older, less good music in some of these, as you call them, less discerning libraries and go, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's a big chance. Is it a 2%, 5% or 10% chance? Probably. Is it a 50-50? Nah. So, you know, I mean, maybe do it with a couple, but I wouldn't do it with a lot. Okay. Well, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. You know, I'd, um, just keep reworking it until it's right. Yeah. Um, if you feel that, 
you know, the the root of the... Are you talking about um, instrumental tracks? Mostly what I'm going to be doing is instrumental tracks and cues, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, if the melody is there and the feel and the rhythm are there and you go, you know, this could be something if I could execute it better, then I would keep reworking it until you can be proud of it. And it does take okay. time. Um, are you are you using the taxi forum and going into the peer to peer section and putting the stuff that we didn't forward in peer to peer and saying hey guys to your fellow members who have probably been doing it longer and maybe have some um, more expertise? Um, have you tried that route to kind of fast track your development to get these things to become better? Well, I, I'm so new at this that I haven't had anything to do yet. I go to the forums and I read and I and I post uh, questions. But I haven't had anything to, to put up there to have people listen to yet. So I'm just about there. I'll be there in the next two weeks. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because, I mean, I've never done it. I'm not a taxi member. But if there's something that I've heard over and over and over again, countless times, literally thousands of times now, um, people that are successful taxi members all swear by two things. Number one is go to the forward section of the forums and go to the forward section of the taxi website, which I believe is blogs.com slash forward. Um, Liz can look it up and post it in the chat room for you. Um, and uh, you will hear what other people are doing, what other people did for the same listing that you may not have been forwarded to. You can hear what did get forwarded and you go, oh, well, theirs has a much better mix and theirs has a little more room to breathe and they've got more of a developmental arc that sort of stuff. So great way to get a, a, a great education and speed up your timeline. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Michael, so much. You are welcome. All right, good talking to you, Carrie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, this is going so far so good, right? I just looked. I've got... Um, fair number of these, and there's... Okay, I got to speed these up. <laughs> uh, all right, next person up to bat is Mr. Steve Patty. Hey, Steve, it's Michael from Taxi. How are you? Hey, Michael, how are you? Thanks for calling. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the question. So let me get right to it and answer it for you. And Steve's question is, can a music supervisor look at a waveform on a, of a song on SoundCloud or on the Taxi member's homepage and know if it's usable or unusable? If so, what should the mastered waveform look like? Um, it doesn't have so much to do with the mastering, um, although a healthy level on the waveform is good. If they see something where it's like a sixteenth of an inch high, they know that the volume um, of what's in the file is going to be really, really low. I can't say that they would out of hand go, oh, this is really low volume. Uh, but if your levels are low in comparison to other people's waveforms, 
just know that when a music supervisor or library owner is listening to a list of stuff that we've sent them, when they get to something that's low in volume, they're probably, um, it's like looking at a picture that's got less vibrant color than the one before it and after it. It just doesn't look as good. Uh, Liz, can you post the, not the link to the forum, but post the link to um, the forwards blog. All right, so, uh, but here's the really salient part uh, of the answer to your question. When music supervisors or library owners look at a waveform, what they're looking for oftentimes is to see if there are stops and starts, if there are edit points. Um, they might even look at like the back 30% or 10% of the waveform to see if there's a little more activity, a little more level, like is, did this thing build to a climax, which obviously wouldn't be the case for like a banjo cue or, you know, an acoustic cue or maybe a, you know, a string quartet cue, but it would be applicable to something like an orchestral cue or a rock cue or something like that. So they tend to look for, are there edit points which show up pretty clearly in waveforms? And do I see something that shows some sort of developmental arc? Okay. All right. Nice. All right, well, Hope. thanks for answering that question. Appreciate it. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for hitting me with a good question. I think other people probably wondered that as well. So thank you, Steve. Thanks. I'm looking forward to the uh, road rally in a couple weeks, too. I'm looking forward, as I always do, to the last minute of the last day when I can go, okay, it's over. <laughs> Thanks. We'll see you online for the rally. And don't forget, everybody who's watching, uh, the Taxi Road Rally is coming up November 6th, 7th, and 8th online here at this YouTube channel. Three days of eight hours per day of programming. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, Steve. Take care now. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, it's so fun hearing the voices of the people that, you know, normally I would only see you typing. Um, okay, done with that one, done with that one. Done with that one. All right, uh, next person up is Mr. Stephen Elling, and I am calling you right now, Stevens. Good question. Hi, is Stephen there, please? It's Michael Lasko yes. from TAC. Just a moment. Thank you. Hello. Hi, how are Hello. you, Stephen? Hello. It's Michael yes. Lasko from Taxi Calling. How are you? Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so I just saw your question. We're live on the show right now, and I want to answer your question for you, which I think is a really good question. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Stephen asked, are screeners less likely to forward a taxi member's work if they have little experience with sync contracts? And the answer is the screeners have no idea if you're experienced in sync contracts or not. They base their decisions on two criteria and two criteria alone. Number one is the music of high quality. 
And number two, is it on target for what the company asked for? Um, so your experience with sync contracts means nothing to the screeners, nor does it mean anything to the rest of the taxi staff. However, um, there are some companies that are now saying to us, please, you know, ask your members not to submit if they're not familiar with how things work. And the reason is, oh, can you, can you mute the computer on your end? Yeah, I did. Okay, great. Um, so there are some companies that will say, um, please don't submit to this listing if you're not familiar with kind of the industry norms for what sync contracts are all about. And the reason for that is that there are times when we forward somebody's music because it's really good and really on target and the library owner reaches out to the member and says, hey, I love this piece. I'd love to sign it to my library. Uh, let me send you a contract. And the member will say, oh my gosh, I don't want to sign an exclusive contract. Well, the listing said exclusive, and it is an exclusive contract, so there should be no surprise there. Or some members will say, well, I don't want to give up my publishing. I was told in a music class I took in college, you should never give up your publishing, which is not the right advice for the sync end of the business. It's a whole different ball game in the record side of the industry, and there are times when you should give up your publishing or some of your publishing. But for the sake of this discussion, just talking about sync stuff, they are basically, all the libraries are essentially gonna do a 50-50 deal with you, where if they make a buck, you make a buck. So they don't like people submitting that are unfamiliar with the drill um, because they're gonna get some newbie questions and they don't wanna spend the time educating and hand-holding because that's not their job. Their job is to find great music and get it out to the industry and make money for themselves and for the musicians. So I would say the way to go for you and for anybody else listening that has a similar question is avoid submitting to those listings that say don't submit if you're not familiar with the, the you know industry norms for contracts or how the industry works submit to the other things and then when you start to get forwarded and hopefully get a deal that'll kind of force you into a situation where you're going to become familiar with contracts and what the norms are and then you'll be a little more of a, a seasoned veteran if you will so that you can submit to those other ones all right yeah thank you well, you're welcome well great talking to you um, yeah, thanks. Great talking to you. Thanks for watching Love the show. Great. Thank yeah. you. Uh, appreciate yeah. you saying that. And uh, yeah. I'll send you, you'll get an envelope in the mail in three days of $5 in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <No>. great. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> anyway, and make sure don't miss the road rally November 6th, 7th, and 8th. Oh, all right? I won't. I'm already signed up. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Good talking <laughs> okay, to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's right. Anybody who plugs taxi today gets a $5 check in the mail. I'm kidding. Joking, joking, joking. All right. Let's see about this next one. All right. The next one is from John Lindemann. Are you ready, John? Here comes my call. Seven... One ringy dingy. Hello? Hi, John. It's Michael from Taxi. How are you? Fine. Yeah, thanks for calling. No problem. 
Um, so thank you for submitting your question. I'm now going to read it on air and we're live and I'm going to answer it for you in front of thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. So John said in his email, I've been working on an instrumental for the modern lo-fi hip-hop instrumental listing, uh, which is listing number S201028LF, which must stand for lo-fi, and have a few questions on creating multi-track instrumentals. This placement is for TV shows, films, and movie trailers, um, I've had some drone cues and single instrumental cues, piano, drums, get forwarded, though would like to improve my skills for longer and more complex arrangements. The software is Logic Pro and Reason. Excuse me. Oops. Here's the instrumental. All right. Well, what I'm so sorry to say what I can't do is listen to the instrumental live on the show today because... Um, if I listen to an instrumental from one person, then I would have to, everybody else could say, well, why didn't you say you were going to listen to music on the show? I would have sent music in, which I just wouldn't okay. have, I wouldn't have the I, time to, to do. Um, okay. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I guess I went a little overboard uh, with the questions. Um, it happens. Uh, I guess uh, question number three is the one I'm really interested in, I guess from, from sort of a more general point, um, like if, uh, with regards to ins instrumentals, um, I was just wondering if, like, high-pitched sounds like bells and stuff, um, if that's generally uh, Discouraged. not good for the instrumentals because it, like, interferes with dialogue. I had uh, one reviewer uh, say that to me once. Yeah, I, we often say that in the listings where we don't recommend, like, a really high, screechy, overly complicated, like, prog rock guitar lead in an instrumental uh, or a saxophone can sometimes uh, conflict with dialogue. So yeah, generally speaking, um, I would say stay away from the high pitch stuff. A really good way to know if what you've got in there might be a problem down the road is turn the volume down to where your mix is almost inaudible, where you can barely hear it and let it roll from top to bottom. And if you get to the end and you hear those high-pitched bells coming through pretty well, um, that's a, a pretty simple and uh, test to, you know, that's indicative of, yeah, this thing will cut through. Uh, if it's cutting through at this low volume and it seems to be the predominant sound in my mix at barely audible levels, the same could be said for when it's laid under dialogue in a TV show. It's probably going to pierce through and be distracting. You won't even hear the rest of the music. You'll just hear the ding, 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 ding. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I'll um, see how it goes when I listen to my smell. All right, cool. Um, so that's it. Yeah, sorry again that I couldn't listen to, to your piece on the show. Um, but thank you for the question. All right. Well, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. All right, John. Good talking to you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Banging them out now. Okay, this next one, I've got two of them back-to-back -back from a gentleman named Mike Cantwell. And they're long and complicated, but I'm doing okay on time, so let's tackle these babies. Mike Cantwell. This is your lucky day. Here comes a call from Taxi TV. 
party you are trying to reach does not accept calls from numbers with caller ID blocked. Please unblock your number by dialing star 82 and try your call again. All Welcome right. to Verizon Wireless. You're Mike, uh, I saw the second email. Thanks, Liz. Um, Mike Cantwell, uh, fix it. <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you to do, but uh, um, if you've got a landline and want to send that number to uh, Taxi TV at taxi.com, Liz will forward it to me. Um, if you can, or, or first of all, are you watching the show? Um, say hello in the chat room and let me know that you're alive and breathing. Let's do Verizon wireless tracks. Hey, Scott, I saw your name last night when I was doing the member, um, success story thing. Congratulations again on that placement, man. Really, really proud of you and happy for you. Kristen Knight says it's a conspiracy. Mike Cantwell, are you there? I hope so, because I was going to fill up the whole last half hour of the show with his questions. And Liz is texting me. Okay, here's another number. <laughs> All right, let's try this number. I reached the voicemail of Mike Cantwell. Feel free to leave a message after the beep. Mike, pick up your damn phone. That's my At the message. tone, please record your message. <sighs> All right, Mike, uh, I'm going to wait about 30 seconds and try one more time because I really, really, really want to answer these questions. You know what this means, don't you? It's time for another chocolate-covered coffee bean. Yeah, now, speaking of not answering phone calls, um, we still keep a landline here at home um, for, like, family emergencies because at night my wife and I shut the ringers off on our uh, cell phones. So, yeah, more coffee beans. You've got it. Sorry if they're crunchy. Anyway, during the day, we get so many calls right now from 202 numbers from both candidates, both parties. Um, and rather than letting them go to the voicemail and then you hear it, you know, in the speaker and everything, I just answer and then click. Answer, hang up, answer, hang up, answer, hang up. Maybe that's how I'll vote this year. Whoever calls me, whoever annoys me with the most calls doesn't get my vote. All right, Liz says I can try him again.
Hello, Michael. Yep. Hey, Mike Cantwell. How are you? <laughs> Very good. And that would be Xfinity blocking the other phone. Ah, okay. Number. Yes. Well, everybody watching the show today, send Xfinity a poison pen letter on Mike Cantwell's behalf. Sign his name. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yes, they're trying to cut down on spam calls. Ah, so got they it. set this up. Well, they should definitely uh, include the 202 area code so all those political calls don't come through. But it is election season. All right, so here's question number one um, from Mike. Why is Taxi so nuts about being the exact length of instrumental uh, submissions? First of all, let me say it's not about the exact length. It, it actually says, uh, I wish I had a listing printed out laying around. But listings will say something like about 90 seconds to two minutes, give or take. So it's not exact. We're giving you what this is what the companies tell us. They, you know, when, when they reach out to us for, to run a listing, we ask them all kinds of questions because we want to give you guys as much information as we can and give it to you as accurately as we can. So if they say, yeah, we're looking for dramedy cues. And we'll say, assuming it's the first time we're out that company, if we've worked with them before, we already know what their their standards are. So, mm -hmm. you know, they'll say, um, you know, like 90 seconds, and we'll say, okay. So then we put in about 90 seconds, give or take. So that means, you know, it could be like 87 seconds. It could be 81 seconds. It could be 94 seconds, about 90 seconds, give or take. So, you know, two indications that that's a ballpark, but it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. exact. Um, and you yet, mentioned and my question was that other A&R companies don't mention that at all. Right. Which to me, I don't want to mention a company's names. No, on, that's fine. That's fine. On air. But I can tell you. From from knowing them for a very long time and looking at their listings and stuff, um, that just means they're not being thorough. They just want submissions. And some of these other companies, again, not mentioning any names, actually split the submission fees with the listing company. So their goal is to get as many submissions as they can. And I personally wonder, you know, if they care at all about how good the stuff is, Does is it good enough to be forwarded are they going to make deals for these people i don't know maybe they do maybe they don't this is conjecture on my part but based on 28 years and a vast amount of experience if i'm a library and i run a listing with brand x other company and they send me stuff that's 19 seconds long i'm gonna go well that's not very professional or if they send me something that's five minutes and 32 seconds long, I'm going to go, what the hell were they thinking? That's mm -hmm. not normal. That's not within the range that is normal, acceptable, and common throughout the industry. So the fact that these other two companies you mentioned don't even mention that tells me that they're not doing their homework, number one, or that they don't really care all that much about if your stuff makes the grade or is acceptable by the companies that they're ostensibly running the listings for. So that puts a little doubt in my mind. Um, it's, and you go on to say, um, these companies don't ever note the length of the submission required for an opportunity. Never. Yes. Well, I just yeah. addressed that. 
Taxi is a fanatic about it. Yeah, because we're professionals. Yes. Um, the worst that I submitted to was a 17-second usage of music with two full men. Uh, no, 17 seconds. Yes, uh, 17 seven seconds, 23 seconds, and I think the other was 32 or less. And Taxi wanted two full minutes right. of, and, and of here's submission for 17 seconds, 23 seconds of usage were the two of the examples. And that and one, it's sorry. very hard. Well, I, I sit in there if you give like part A, which would be the verse for 15 seconds, part B, which would be the chorus for 15 seconds, and you do that twice, you've only got one minute. And as soon as you get into the repeat any of that, you get the two repetitive. And if you try to make a C part, a bridge, quite often you get that it's you veered off from the rest of the song. And it's like very frustrating. Are we talking about instrumental cues? Instrumentals, yeah, yes. I knew that okay. beginning, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so here, here's the answer. Is the reason they want 90 seconds to two minutes, but they may only use four seconds or 12 seconds or 17 seconds or 23 seconds, is the editor, I, I wish you'd been at the road rally either last year or the year before, we had a young lady who's like an A-list video editor on reality shows. And she actually sat there and look, looked for music on a playlist, picked things that she thought could work, and then edited the music and laid it into the scene. One of the things that, I mean, frankly, not to sound egotistical, I already knew this, but I think that the, you know, the thousand people sitting in the ballroom went, oh, now I see why they want you know 90 seconds or two minutes. It's because they look for different parts within it. And I think in one, um, one of your other things, you talked about uh, the arc. You know, what's the development? Yes, the developmental arc. Right. So here's the deal: is let's basically say, subtracting instruments and then layering back in later. Right, and you called that a wave. More they of a wave, and are really more bar grass. And I need to go overboard on that. But yeah, I don't see it as an arc, and I well, noticed that others don't either. But well, I don't um, know. I, I don't know who the others are, but frankly, oh, one of them that you interviewed on a Monday. Um, oh, okay. All right. Well, you, yes. Gotcha. So here's the thing: developmental arc is a phrase that is standardly used across the entire production music library industry. There's literally nobody who works at a music library in any sort of like A and R capacity, either choosing the music or pitching the music that doesn't know what a developmental arc is and they would use the term regularly. So it's just common, a common industry term. And yes, while a de de developmental arc, it's like the story arc in a movie, all right? The movies, movies usually have a first act, a second act and a third act, right? And then different scenes within each act. So that gives the movie, the storyline, the script in a movie, a sense of it's moving forward. We started out with two people that met at college, but they didn't get along because the girl saw that the boy was looking over her shoulder and cheating on, a, on an exam. So she got into his grill a little bit. But then um, in the middle of the movie, they bumped into each other again and they had a nice conversation and a little spark of love started to show. And then, so during an instrumental, how would this apply? I'm going to tell you. 
Okay. So, and then in the last act of the movie, um, the payoff comes. And the payoff is they've fallen in love, they got married, and then tragically the young lady develops some sort of horrible disease and she dies. Sorry. <laughs> but so that means that there's a beginning to the story, a middle of the story, and an end of the story. Well, the same thing is true in instrumental music where they want something in the beginning that sets it up, like here's the basics. And that means just a few instruments that give away the melody, the rhythm, and the overall picture. Here's a little taste of it. And then four bars or eight bars later, it builds up a little bit more by adding some more instrumentation. And then it drops down and um, subtracts some, some of the instrumentation, then builds it back up. Maybe there's a B section in the middle to add a little variation on the theme. All this does is it gives a sense of forward movement, forward momentum to the piece of music because they're looking, sometimes the skinny part up front that is underdeveloped at that point might not really work well in the scene. So they're gonna look at the waveform or continue listening to that piece of music going, I like it melodically, I like it rhythmically, I wish it had more instrumentation or was played a little more dynamically. So that's why they would go look at one of the subsequent sections to see if more instrumentation has been added. Oh, look, that looks better with picture now or feels better with the picture. Or maybe they need the end of it to really you know, grow dynamically um, so that the momentum leads to the exclamation point, which is the button or stinger ending. So they need all these sections because they want as many possibilities for when they pull out 12 seconds or 17 seconds or 34 seconds. They need those possibilities to edit with. They may only take the first two bars of the beginning of your thing because it's skinny. They may take the next two bars from the middle where it's a little more built up and then take the last 16 bars from the last section of the arc and again, it's not, it's not like that's the arc. You're right. Think of it as a sine wave. Um, here, I've got paper and pen. I'm going to draw you a picture. All right. So there's the beginning of your arc. And you're right. You build it up, drop it down, build it up. This may not be the best picture in the world, but you can see at the end, it's bigger, it's more dynamic, and it's gone somewhere. So, yes, it, you know, it, it's not a straight linear progression so much mm -hmm. as it's... Really, though, you should drop down further for the second verse, shouldn't you there? Be more of a decline down. It really all depends on the genre and your instrumentation and stuff. I mean, again, how do you watch a lot of taxi TVs? And, and um, yes, are you on the yes. phone? Th thank you for that. Are you on uh, the taxi forum? Uh, I've looked at it. Yes, because you know something you could do would be go on the forum and go to the peer to peer section and post a piece before you send it in and say, "Hey guys." Um, I want to make sure that I've got the right kind of developmental arc, that this thing has a sense of building and moving forward 
what do you guys think? And get feedback from members who are experienced and will give you honest and, and good feedback. Now, all that said, um, a piece of classical music done with a flute is probably not going to have much of a no, development. I'm, I'm thinking more top four, uh, top 200 billboard, some of the songs that they want. Okay. Instrumentals in the, gotcha. genre, in the same genre. All right. So, yeah, that that yeah. would typically be a, a genre that would require yeah. an arc. All right. So there I've answered that stuff. Um, that's 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 fine. Yes, that's good. Uh, I'm just reading the rest of your question. Um, and typically, I mean, there is um, not an exact prescription as to the form of instrumentals. Um, the form is often dictated by the genre, um, maybe yes. to some some degree by the tempo, by the instrumentation, all those things. What yes, they don't I'm thinking want... verse, pre-chorus, and chorus, and then repeat that on bridge, and, and then um, chorus, and possibly a second chorus, or any alteration of that, you still are stepping up from verse and stepping right. up to pre-chorus, stepping up to chorus and then back down to verse and then you're stepping up to pre-chorus and then on up to chorus bridge is either going to be down low if it's something simple or way up high if it's the payoff and then back to the chorus and with the arc i guess an arc comes back down so you would i would i an arc comes back down so i'm th thinking it's more like an incline up well, you're you're and thinking arc down. Yeah, you're thinking too literally. You're thinking of an arc as an architectural or graphic thing, you know, like like that. Yeah. <clears throat> arc. Think of a story arc in a movie. Sorry, I've got a piece of uh, coffee bean stuck in my throat from eating chocolate coffee beans. Yes, that that's how an arc is. Yes. Right. So yeah, it doesn't mean a literal arc. It's just a commonly used phrase in the movie and music industry that it's got a developmental arc, meaning that it goes somewhere. I had Googled it, and I didn't have much luck finding it. That's because the phrase is actually uh, endemic to our little corner of the production music industry. Um, it's very commonly used there. Literally, if you took 100 owners of production music libraries and lined them all up and said, okay, everybody who doesn't use the word developmental arc at least once a week, step forward. Everybody would still be standing in line because everybody uses it all the time. Have you read um, Dean Crepain's book called uh, Demystifying the Genre? Probably not. Don't okay. I think so. I'm reading Robin, Robin Frederick's book right now, and I, I didn't find it in there. Right, that's because it's not about instrumental cues. Um, all right, I'm going to recommend three books for you. Um, the first book is by a gentleman named Dean Crepain, and I can never spell his last name right, but I'm going to attempt it, which is K-R-I-P-P-H-E-A-N-E, -E, or something like that. Um, he's got two books. One is called Demystifying the Cue, and the other one is called Demystifying the Genre. There, uh, Liz is posting links in the, in the chat room right now for you. Um, All right. And the other book is by a gentleman named Steve Barden, B-A-R-D-E-N. And I don't have a copy of his book right here, but it's 
called something like creating production music. Um, if somebody could help me out with the title of Steve's book, I'd really appreciate that in the chat room. I'm waiting for the chat room to catch up with this. Somebody will know the name of Steve. I guess I could Google it if I have my act really together. Um, Okay, Steve Barden's book is called Writing Production Music for TV, The Road to Success. That's by Steve Barden, Writing Production mm -hmm. Music for TV, The Road to Success. I can pretty much guarantee you, oh, and Liz just posted a link for that one as well. I can pretty much guarantee you that if you buy and read those three books, which you know might cost you a total of like, $70 or something altogether. It will be eye-opening and life-changing and dramatically move your skills and career forward at a pace that you just couldn't even imagine. Um, okay. Thank uh, you. Yes. I'm just reading. Um, you can skip the rest of that. That's fine. We can move okay. on to somebody else. Yes, All right. that's fine. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, great questions. And um, uh, I, I just trust me, Mike, that when you read those books, um, you will be thanking me for the rest of your life because they're going to change yes. your life. I can guarantee you that. All right. Well, I've got, I think I've got five or more forwards already through taxi. So, and. Well, let's I think make I've it. Submitted two hundred songs, so I've got at least about five. Well, let's make it next year. Let's shoot for a goal of like seventy forwards out of two hundred. Let's get you up to like <laughs> you know. I mean, that can happen. You just you know. Is, oh yes, certainly. You got to. <laughs> I don't mean to be smart, but you got to learn to play by Taxi's rules. <laughs> well, it's but it's here's the thing. It's not arbitrary rules that Taxi just made up to be a pain in the ass to our members. We're just conveying what the industry, the professional people in the industry want. These are all things that are normal to them in their everyday business. Um, so these are not our rules. We're just the messenger. So don't shoot the messenger, all right? <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for your questions. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. What are we doing on time? Whoa, only five minutes left. Let's see if I've got one more question that I can do in five minutes. Honestly, I can't. There's, there's a three-part... Oh, you know what? I'll take this one. Um... Brad Gray <laughs> uh, Brad, I'll answer your questions in the quarantine because I know you show up there and I will be doing quarantinis on Wednesday and Friday of this week for those of you who are fans of our quarantini uh, happy hour which happens um, used to be every day of the week now I'm doing them on Wednesdays and Fridays till the road rally is over because I need a lot of time to work in the road rally. So I will answer Brad Gray's questions on Wednesday's episode of Quarantini Happy Hour. 
And right now, rather than making the phone call, because I've only got four minutes left, I'm going to answer a question from a gentleman named Alan Frederick. Um, I'm a bit confused about Taxi's ref reference to broadcast quality. My understanding of broadcast quality is the requirement by the FCC's Calm Act, which states that the broadcast quality is to be, mas to be a mastered level of minus 23 LUFs with a one point, minus 1.5 dBTP, but it seems that this term has been used loosely these days to be more like CD quality. Can you clarify what taxi means by broadcast quality? Um, should submissions to taxi be mastered at broadcast quality or CD quality? Whoa. Uh, broadcast quality was a term that nobody in the music industry ever used for anything until yours truly. <laughs> Yes, pat myself on the back. Uh, it, um, in all seriousness, um, when I first started the company, we were always looking for music for the record industry. And the record industry wanted stuff that was master quality, like done in a major recording studio and sounded like a record. Um, so then we started getting in, I think it was around our second year in business, we started running listings for people that needed stuff for film and TV. And they knew that they weren't going to be able to get something that sounded like it was recorded at the record plant or Criteria or, you know, one of the big famous studios at the time. Um, but they wanted stuff that sounded pretty darn good. So I happened to be reading a magazine one day, like a broadcast magazine about the TV industry. And I saw, I think it was a Panasonic camera and it said broadcast quality in a small format. I went broadcast quality. That's what I'm going to start calling music that was done in home studios that is well recorded and well balanced and well mixed. And therefore it's broadcast quality, meaning it's good enough that it can be broadcast in the context of placed in a TV show. Has nothing to do, when we say broadcast quality and listing, we are not talking about minus 23 LUFs or the minus 1.5 dBTP. That stuff is, I mean, healthy levels, good bottom end, good top end, no distortion unless it's intentional. Uh, and then broadcast quality also is inclusive of, um, do the vocals sound good? Um, do the vocals sound appropriate for this kind of music? It could be some sort of loose indie singer-songwriter thing that the vocals are loosey-goosey and indie sounding versus a pop hit that sounds like um, Christina Aguilera sings it. So whichever the style of music is, your vocal needs to be appropriate and well executed for that style. Sometimes that may mean for the loosey-goosey indie stuff that you're a little bendy and pitchy in places because it adds to the vibe and the character and the texture of the vocal. If you're submitting pop stuff that sounds like Christina, it better be really on pitch and a great vocal performance. So that goes into the stew that is broadcast quality. So 
it's all that stuff. It's the production, it's the engineering, it's the mixing, it's the performance. All that goes into the stew, which is broadcast quality, the bottom line, simplest way to say it. Is this good enough that in its current form, it could be broadcast in a TV show under the dialogue or standing alone as a piece of featured music? Is it broadcastable, as somebody said the other day? So there you go. Scott Hansen closing us out with an off-color joke. My wife is bendy and pit pitchy in the morning before coffee. Um, was P the... <laughs> were you going for the letter B in that? <laughs> well, I'm sure your wife is lovely because any woman that puts up with you, Scott, she's got to have incredible stamina and, and like nerves of steel because you're a handful, but we love you for it. So that's it. Um, I hope this was helpful, you guys. Did you like this uh, format of calling people and, and getting real live taxi members on the show? Waiting for the chat room to catch up. Um, also, don't forget, while we're waiting for that, uh, don't forget the Road Rally, November 6th, 7th, and 8th. Please give us a thumbs up if you like today's show so that we can make YouTube happy. Um, your wife is the best. She's got to be, seriously. <laughs> and people love the show. Fun and informative. Yes, it was good. Uh, great show. It was fun. Yes, sure. Yes, sir. It was fun. Loved it. Great idea. All right. Well, all that said, thank you for the the questions today. Thank you, all, uh, all of you who participated in letting me uh, invade your private life by calling you. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for the Quarantini Happy Hour, which is always fun, oftentimes educational, um, guaranteed to make your day a little more pleasurable than it might have been without it. We'll be right back here, 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Thank you all for watching. I bid you a fond farewell. I'm going to go have a snack. Bye, you guys.